Welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the Emmys, Oscars, SAG, and Tony's races. Who is in the running? What makes an award-worthy performance? And what are the secrets to giving one? intimate, inspirational conversations with some of today's most talented stars provide you, dear listener, the kind of craft and career advice that could win you a statue of your own, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. The things that cost you energy are normally normally worth doing I think yeah it was a little bit later that I learned that but you know that thing it's a cliche that people say but nothing worth having comes easy it's never a truer word said If we talk with our voices like across like that, okay. it's at our height. So, because before we were like, eh. yeah. So now this pail is helping us. Okay. And I think we're on, or I think we're good. I'm gonna listen back to this, but um, this is my first time sitting down to record for a while. It is. Right. Yes. We're getting back into it. We are getting back into the it. The podcast is back. It is back. It's back and ready to go. Ah! I know welcome. it's kind of crazy. Welcome, listeners, and welcome. <laughs> Do you want to reintroduce yourself to our yes. listeners? Yes, I'm Sam Sherlock. <laughs> Um, helper of the podcast. Indeed. You were last year uh, on Deborah Messing's behalf, I believe. Yes, I was here on Deborah Messing's behalf, which was so fun. One of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I like be- I like this uh, co-host thing of being here on behalf of someone. Today we are here to talk about Taron Egerton. Yes. Wh- whose voice we should have just heard. Yes. What do we know about him? He's in this movie, Rocket Man. Yes. That's it? pretty much all I know. That's pretty much it. <laughs> but he was um, phenomenal right? in Rocket Man. Stunning. Stunning. Elton John. Elton He's playing Elton John. John. A young Elton John. A young Elton John. Yeah. I'm a huge right. Elton John fan. Huge. So when I sat down to watch this movie, I had Epic. very high hopes. And he it's brought a, that's it. That's got to be a tough gig to be like, oh, I'm playing Elton John. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very, yeah, and it was very, like, it was a mirror. He mirrored him. Visually. Yeah, visually. Vocally. Vocally, which was very impressive, too, Wild. because I think totally. before I watched it, I looked it up to see if he actually sang in yeah. the movie, and it said that he did. Which I always think is so much more impressive. It was very impressive, because yeah. like I said, I'm a big Elton John fan. Yeah, and Elton John's like a great singer, but he's also an unusual singer. He yeah. has an unusual voice. Yeah, totally. So Taryn has to sing well, but he also has to do it in a way that walks that line, that really right. fascinating line that an actor sometimes has to do. Of, do you imitate? Do you copy? Mm-hmm. Do you make it your own? you gotta, you got to make all those decisions, basically. Right. And most of the, mostly in the movie, it's he's putting on the performances, so he's also mm-hmm. singing and putting on these elaborate performances. So just doing yeah. all of that and probably never having done that before. Not at this level. No, is just like a whole other. I'm curious thing. to see what Taryn's background is and where he learned how to do all this stuff. I know. Because spoiler alert, we are recording this before our interview with Taryn <laughs> out in LA. 
Um, <laughs> but we are really excited to have him on the podcast because it's film award season, it's underway, and he is a leading actor contender. He is. In a major motion picture. That's crazy. It doesn't get bigger than Rocket Man. No, it really doesn't. Did you see recently they had, um, they did like a concert of singing along to the movie and it was Taron and Elton together. Yes, I did see that. That was so epic. Yes. Can you imagine? Elton and him are like BFF They're actually friends. Elton Ah. is like super supportive of him, like Uh. loved the fact that he did the movie. Yeah. It's just like fun Hollywood. It's super well done. And Taron's amazing. Absolutely. We'll get into a little more of his other, the rest of his oeuvre, the rest of his work. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll get to this amazing interview with Taryn, which I'm sure is going to be I cannot wait to amazing. hear it. It's going to be fabulous. Maybe he'll sing. I know. Well, are we allowed to? I don't know. Oh. Ask him. Let's ask him to ask Elton <laughs> to give us permission. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you, Sam, for stopping by and helping me Anytime. introduce Taryn. Anytime. Always here for I'm you. i call you again. Reminder to listeners, follow us on our Facebook page at In the Envelope and on Twitter at In the Envelope. Absolutely. Sam's doing a lot of awesome, like, content creation, (laughs) what do we call it? Content promotion, getting people engaged with the podcast. Yes, follow us. It's so fun. And we'll always have sneak peeks of our episodes. Yes. New and sometimes old stuff. Totally. We're about to hit a stretch of really exciting people. Yes. Awesome. More to come. Thank you. No problem. Ah! This episode is brought to you by Universal Pictures' Us, starring Academy Award and SAG Award winner Lupita Nyong'o in an acclaimed dual performance as a woman who must defend her family against a terrifying and mysterious opponent, doppelgangers of themselves. For your SAG Award consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Leading Role, Lupita Nyong'o, and Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. Taryn Edgerton is an up-and-coming star best known for action comedy Kingsman The Secret Service and its sequel. Raised in Wales and trained as an actor at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, he's played several real-life figures on screen in The Testament of Youth, Legend, Eddie the Eagle, and this year's Rocket Man, the dazzling Paramount Pictures musical starring Taryn as a young Elton John. Please welcome the fabulous Taryn Edgerton. I just moved to L.A. three days ago. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Where from? Well, from New York. I'm Backstage is based in New York. Okay. We don't really have an office here or a presence here, but now I'm the presence here. So you are here representing Backstage in all its glory? Yes, All exactly. its sunlit glory? Exactly. Yes. Um, I'm escaping winter is what I'm really doing. Yeah, nice, man. I'm originally from Hawaii, so I'm... Oh, you are a, you're a, you're a vitamin D kid. Yes. Yeah. I need vitamin D. Yeah, yeah fair enough, man. Are you, you are from... Uh, you're born in England, but you're from Wales. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I my family are from Liverpool in the n- north of England, although my grandmother was Welsh. And um, when my mother and father separated, when I was, you know, barely out of nappies, diapers, um, uh-huh. we moved to Wales. My mother moved to Wales to to get to get a university degree, and um, mm-hmm. so I don't really have any memories of of, of not living in Wales. Right. Obviously, when I was nineteen. I moved to London to go to drama school and stuff, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel very Welsh and it 
sort of I don't know once you've spent time there it's a place that you kind of fall in love with very easily mm. it's not somewhere that you you know um it's not it's not something you can forget about it's outstandingly beautiful mm. and the people are amazing and it's got a very rich cultural heritage um in terms of you know art and yeah also sports and music and that'll always be home absolutely always be home and i have a, a home there and oh, okay. and um and I sort of yo-yo back between there and London. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And here only for promotional purposes, or yeah, or? here for here for mainly promotional purposes. Particularly this year, I have filmed here a little bit in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it. The older I get, the more I love LA. Actually, I think you know it's got a lot to offer. It's got a lot to offer in terms of all those things you become more aware of. I suppose now, I'm mm-hmm. still very young. You know, I'm imminently thirty, but mm-hmm. you start to want to be a bit more. Health conscious, I think, you oh, know, sure. just when you hit milestones, um, yep. you know, you start to realize that, that, you know, that you've got to, you've got, you've got one life and you've got to look after your body and, and LA is a great place for all that, you know, with wonderful totally. food and health classes and things. Yes. The stereotypes are true. People take care of themselves here. They do very much. Like, yeah. They do. I think it take, I think it's about having, from what I can gather, and certainly my experience of it has been that when once you've found your tribe and your yeah. com- and your community, it's much much easier. Because I think the thing about it to begin with is it's so dispersed. It's super spread out, yeah. it, and it can just feel overwhelming. So like, how does anyone build a social life? You've got right. to plan a social life. Yeah. I think totally. Um, but I'm sure that'll just take, take a minute, and you'll yeah. and you'll be fine. And yeah, happy. and browner than you would have been otherwise. Um, Cool, so yeah, we're with Backstage. We are the Actress Trade Publication. We're all about the early early career acting advice. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask you questions about, you know, where where and when you got started and how all that goes down and like, well, first of all, what was it a bit by the acting bug? When was it acting or why I acting? Think, I think when I was a kid, I naturally gravitated towards cr- creative things. But mm-hmm. before my teens, it manifested more in making things with my hands so i love drawing and oh cool i was very into sculpture working with clay and i did all those things for lots of you know from a really young age and just found it myself you know i wouldn't my mother my mother made clothes when she was younger and my dad's a musician so Mm. that there's definitely a sort of creative streak in the family Mm. but it wasn't until i was 15 and i joined the youth theater um in aberystwyth my hometown that I really kind of, I think I'd been watching, I think in uh, the the early part of secondary school, I had been watching other people engage with performance from afar and mm-hmm. kind of think, oh, I, f- I quite fancy I that. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. And, um, hmm. and then I think I fell in with a couple of guys who are still my, my sort of best friends now, um, who were doing a, cl- a class at the local art centre, a community theatre thing, basically, oh. for young people. And I, you know, took one of those leaps of faith and signed up, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, sounds like a small thing, but at that age felt like quite a daunting thing. It's one of those little leaps of, all through, all through my, you know, life, it's those little moments of just doing things that scare you that always yield great results. And that was one of them. I remember being Mm. intimidated by it, but did that. First production we did was a Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I we all, we all auditioned, you know, did a sort of general audition, the group of 40 kids that were a part of it. And I ended up playing flute, the okay. bellows mender, who's one of the mechanicals. And that character has a bit of a funny time of it because he's, 
one of the more uh, youthful-looking guys of this troupe yes. of, of, of part-time actors. And so they decide to make him... The Thisbe. The, they, he plays Thisbe, who's yes. the female um, heroine really of, the, of the play that they put on. Now, for me, at 15, it was a little bit... It felt a little bit like a baptism of fire, and I was very, very intimidated at the prospect of having to do it. And Yeah, it and, to, and the, was it mortifying, the woman part? The well, the, I, part? I was honestly... <laughs> I was losing sleep over it at the time and we came to do the performance and we did three nights of performance uh-huh. at a studio space in the art centre and um, I had a little sort of pink cocktail frilly dress on oh with God. little shoulder straps <laughs> and makeup and a wreath of flowers in my hair. Yes. And yes. Um, and you know what? It went so well and it, I got such a warm mm. response and lots of laughter that I there and then I've sort of that night I really think I knew that night that first it. performance that was if I got bit by a bug mm-hmm. it was that night whether it was acting at that point or just being a centre of attention I don't know the craft sure. craft maybe came it's later fine line yeah but um, but uh, I um, that that's when it all started and then you know carried on at that youth theatre and eventually auditioned for drama school when I was in my late teens. Right. Somewhere between there, you it must have occurred to you, oh, I could do this for a living rather than just for fun. Well, yeah. I mean, I was very, very, very fortunate in, the, in that although I'm from a relatively, well, no, a very modest background, I, mm-hmm. I have parents who... I have parents who have always been incredibly supportive of me and my acting. They were always very excited okay. by it rather than... Being cautious voices in the background, you know, yeah. um, mm. and I will always be grateful to them for that. I remember, you know, I had to. I, I auditioned at five drama schools the year I got in, the second year. Five, okay. And each one, I couldn't afford to audition for any more. The five drama schools was wow. five audition fees of forty pounds, and forty pounds five times over is what two hundred quid. And then the train fare down to London down is in. sixty quid, so that's two hundred and sixty quid. Wow. And then we, my stepfather and I, stayed in a youth hostel in Piccadilly as well, which I imagine was probably about forty quid again or yeah. something like yeah. that. Three hundred pounds. You got to count it all up. It's, it's... Yeah, it's massive. I, I didn't have that money, yeah. and um, yeah. but my family, my mother gave me. F- 40 quid my stepfather gave me 40 quid my aunt mm. gave me 40 quid and my dad gave me 40 quid and I was also working as well so that that then yeah. I had they basically my family came together to provide me with this opportunity right to to to, to try yeah exactly I think that as as no invest, as investments they've all made quite good returns good. on that now, but, yeah. um, but, uh, <laughs> That's right. um, but I will always I will never forget that I will never forget that family support it's so important I think that you you aid and support your children in their dreams like totally. that, and that's exactly what I would want for my kids. And um, yeah, like I'm, I have a great family. And you, you feel that pressure going into those auditions, of course. A little bit, yeah. That's very true. I Added. did. I did feel that way. I did feel. Yeah. You know, you want to you want to thrive for the people around you as much as yourself. And um, yeah. but luckily, I, there was a misfire the first year, but the second year of auditions, I ended up getting a. A couple of places, actually. I was very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. The first year, I didn't get a single recall anywhere, and the right. a, a year's difference, which happens. Well, yeah, you, some people, yeah, years and years. So. I think I was, I think I was slightly chaotic. I don't think I was very well prepared, mm-hmm. and I think I was in a phase of my life where I felt that I had to portray some sort of 
persona, some to, to sort of put out some sort of version of myself, and I think it probably came off as a little bit youthful and 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 a bit silly and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just a bit overconfident, probably. Or, sure. Or maybe not. Or maybe thinking I was, or maybe coming off as very nervous, and sort of trying to mask it with a with a confidence yeah. that wasn't really there. Yeah. Um, but the second year I got a place and I ended up accepting my place at RADA and I was there for mm-hmm. three years. Like you say, it's those moments of, it's the fear leading up to it that sort of uh, makes it worth it or yeah. that makes it pivotal. Like that's, yeah. by taking a big risk, that's what changes your the course of your life. I yes, guess. exactly. And it's just, it's co- you know, it's cost you something then as well. I think the, yeah, things, cool. the things that cost you energy are yeah. normally, you know, normally worth doing i think yeah it was a little bit later that i learned that but you know that thing it's a cliche that people say but nothing worth having comes easy it's never a truer word said I think yeah that, if that's if there's one little thing bit of wisdom i've gleaned in my relatively short life that's it mm-hmm. i think yeah and it makes it more fulfilling when you do get success yes of course yeah, the life of an of actor absolutely yeah so then it was so then was it just after RADA? Where did you learn at RADA, first of all? Everything. Yeah, lots at RADA. I mean, you learn a lot. I think one of the one of the most important things they say to you and they say it to you in the first week is you are gonna hear you're gonna hear a lot of different things from lots of different mm. actors and lots of different specialists in their field, whether ah. they be voice people or people who specialise in classical text or sight reading or whatever. Mm. Um and some of the things they say will be conflicting because yeah. it's it's uh, it's a it's a subjective thing, you sure. know, the craft, and that's why people have different, you know, methods of working, and um, and I felt that the one universally true thing that I was told constantly, and I could feel when I applied it to my acting, although it took a while, but was just this idea of listening and responding, and and mm. having and having using external stimulus and what's around you to fuel and Mm. feed your performance Mm -hmm. rather than self-generating which is i think what lots of people do because sure you know but when they're young i mean that's how you you know when before you think of it in that way i'm sure you know the greats the you know Saoirse Ronan's of this world you know we're all kind of do it instinctively (laughs) but you know as she did as she just demonstrated when she was a 14 year old kid in yeah. you know in atonement but i couldn't yeah. have i you know i i couldn't have done that because i think it right. i needed to train to mm-hmm. to learn that stuff and i think listening that's the really that's the really important thing listening and responding and then there's you know all sorts of technical the tricks the te- technical stuff that's good yeah. for that's good for particularly i think theater and mm-hmm. you know in terms of having a strong voice and and being able to to, to fill a space like that really both in terms of movement and the use of your instrument. And mm-hmm. um, that becomes less important, I think, when you're doing screen acting. But, of course, there are, there are very different unseen bits of craft that go with that as well. Yes, and the preparation and the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I had a good time there. I found it, like most people, I think, will say of drama school, you know, you have, you have some really rough days there because, yeah. you know, you are constantly putting yourself out there, performing, acting, and being reviewed and analysed. And that's a funny place mm. to be in, you know. Mm. The, the, the impulse to do that is an odd impulse in actors to sort of, you know, whether it's something to do with acceptance or whatever, or I'm sure it's different for different people, but I've, you know, 
you have rough days, but you also have glorious days where you feel really creatively fulfilled and those moments where little bits of craft click into place and you feel like, oh, I understand that now. Mm. That I remember those moments as being glorious, you know? That's but, cool. Um, but yeah, I was there for three years and in my third year, was very lucky and I was able to get a really good agent, Lindy mm -hmm. King, who and Lindy is still my agent now and she's a real titan in her field, you know, in terms of UK actors. She's, you know, par partially responsible for the careers of Ewan McGregor and Tom Hardy and Lindy King and um, Kieran Knightley. And, and these are all these are all people she took from the same level, drama school or younger. Gotcha. And okay, wow. so, so she was a great person to to have on my side in, in the early I days. And, yeah. and when, you know, she, I think just being represented by her opened some doors and got me in rooms with some good good people, you know. Yeah, well, and it seems like, because I wanted to ask if it's, Rada is mostly meant for, like you said, theater training. Uh, absolutely, yeah. You can then apply it to, to screen acting, but yeah, was screen acting ever the... Was that the end goal? No. 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 No, never. But that... I mean, when it came... No, 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 that's really ridiculous. Of course I entertain the idea that it might happen. Right, But, right. you know, from that, the, the percentage of actors who have thriving screen careers are in the decimal points, right. you know? So yes. uh, that, that to me, was always, like, you can't plan for that because you not only do you have to obviously be talented to, 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 get, to get the work after drama school, but you have to be lucky and you can't account for luck. Yep. So... <laughs> I did. You don't plan for that. What I thought I could do is if I worked hard and I uh, remained passionate about what I wanted to do mm. and still had a bit of luck, then I would mm -hmm. have a healthy theatre career where I was doing exactly what I wanted to be doing yeah. and making enough money to make ends meet. I think, you know, a theatre career in London isn't going to get you a palatial home sure. um but that's not what i was i wasn't i wasn't pursuing the career to live an opulent lifestyle you know right. okay. um so yeah but then you know the screen thing happened within a year of mm -hmm. of of being out of drama school i left early and went to a play at the national theater um and that was my first job and Which i skipped play was that it was a new play called The Last of the Housemans, written by Stephen Beresford and directed by the late, great Howard Davis. Oh. And um, uh, it was myself and Rory Kinnear, Julie Walters, Helen McCrory, no. um, and, a, and a couple of other really lovely actors as well. But it was a six-hander. and um, So a pretty big first gig out of school. Yeah, yeah. It felt... It really felt it at the time. It yeah. was... Um, it really... It really felt like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know that I've ever, the, that job, the getting of that job, I don't know that I've ever hit the same high again of, get, of getting, you know, in terms of just getting an act, a professional, a paid acting yeah. job. Yeah. That, that first call of saying, oh, you got the job mm. was, you know, kind of sweeter than any of the other ones that have come since really. That's cool. Um, so I did that and had a really good time and then went to the Royal Court Theatre, which mm -hmm. is, um, quite a well-known new new writing venue in London yeah um, and uh, it was whilst I was doing that second job that I got a television series mm. for Sky and it was during the making of that television series which was about f firefighters in London mm -hmm. that I got an email 
of course, you know, it was an open, well, not an open audition, but a fairly, they cast the net fairly wide, obviously, by virtue of the fact that I got the call <laughs> to audition for Matthew Vaughan's new film. And and, um, and I read the scenes and I remember where I was when I read the scenes. I was on, the, on, a, str- on a street corner in Hoban, London, mm-hmm. and um, and I read them. And I don't know if you've seen that film, but there's a scene where my character, who's called Eggsy, mm-hmm. sits in a pub with Colin Firth's character and and, um, and they have a, a pint together and then these thugs come in and Colin kicks the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I read that scene and I... It sounds ridiculous, but I read it and I thought, I should play this part. I've got. That's I've. So awesome. I, I've. I've got to play this part. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to, but I was. Right. I felt you wanted to. I wanted it so badly, yeah. and I just thought, oh, I'm, I can do this. You know, um, <laughs> there's something. You know, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're from different. We're from different worlds. Me and that character, but right. I suppose I just felt that I am of the same class. Although I'm from I'm from a rural bit of the world and not an urban background, mm-hmm. but. Something of his swagger, but also, you know, I've always drawn to the vulnerability in things, and there was a vulnerability to that character, and particularly in that scene as well, where he exposes mm. something of himself that feels, I don't know, he, Colin's character is making assumptions about him, and he loses his temper and sort of shows that there's a dimension to him beyond mm. what he's first, I don't know, and it was just a lovely scene, and um, and anyway, I ended up going and auditioning for that, and um, how many auditions for that? <laughs> at least five maybe six um it's not a walk in and book the part kind of no no role. no no because also i think matthew had a baton on his hands because i don't think i don't think the studio were initially overly enamored with the idea of casting a complete unknown right um it's always fascinating when that happens that that is its own risk yeah you know i mean and i know some of the other actors who are up for that part and they are mm. They're like serious young British actors, oh, you know, sure. you know, who are gone on to do amazing things. And I was very, very, very lucky. And I think Matthew just something about Matthew and I, we, you know, we've become very, very, very close friends. And he's been involved with most of my high-profile films, mm-hmm. you know, and um, mm-hmm. uh, Eddie the Eagle and Rocket Man, both Kingsman films. And um, but he has always just believed in me and championed me and been a you know, a fan of my acting, and and that was the start of our relationship. Really, wow. he did put me through my paces to get that part, though. And I'd never experienced anything like that. I'd never experienced auditioning on a on a on a sound stage with a camera crew and makeup, right. and you know, they'd got in another actor to read with me, and the actor was like fairly well known, you know. And I was oh. like, you, you know, it was like it was a. I wouldn't say who it is, but it was no, it, it was someone I'd oh. seen in. It wasn't Colin. Colin was shooting a Woody Allen movie, I think. In but France. they brought in somebody else. Yeah, so they brought in a huge deal. It it was crazy, you know. It just felt like something. It just was a really weird experience, but Mm. and ended ended up getting the part, and obviously, you know, made the movie, and it went on to be a success, and that was the start of my sort of career, really. Yeah, was there any um, the fact that it's an action movie, and you're pretty much an action hero in that movie? Yeah, is there like an added element of training for that? Yeah, of course. I mean, particularly in the first one, I, I managed less well in the second one. I was going through a quite a tough time oh. but um in the first one i really did get in serious shape mm-hmm. i was you know i remember one day i remember one day just realizing that i could climb up and down a rope you know for 
for quite a long time without using my feet, just my hands, you know. Wow. And I'd never really been, I'd never been in the gym before that job, you know. Okay. So it was a weird thing to feel my body transform and because wow. I, I really was in quite good shape. I've never been in quite that shape again. I think something to do, <laughs> it may have been... Maybe that maybe that I was I don't know maybe something of being twenty three made it a little bit easier. Actually, no, it felt really hard. But maybe I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe. But that's the life of an actor. Some jobs will require that, and then yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge of doing that and worked with great people, incredible stunt team and trainer, and um, and the movie went on to be really. Really great, you know. Yeah, was, yeah. I really and I love this idea of. Um, it sounds like for each script you're maybe looking at, your your something connects, like something about the tone of that character and the tone of that movie really. Yeah. What you mean resonated. in terms of? Yeah, like is that how you look at your scripts? You're looking for a character you can relate to, even if it's not the circumstances of the character. It's something about. I think I like. I think I like. I like things that have dimension and they have moments of contradiction in them. I think, ah. I think things where it's like characters can be lots of different things within one script at different mm. times. You want an arc. You want to feel like the character sure. goes on a journey and, and, and changes at some point. Mm. Um, and I like things that have an op- opportunity to show vulnerability, I think, even yeah. if it's a... Cool. Even if it's a sort of an imposing person or a or a you know a kind of relatively hmm. assured, confident person, I think unless you feel like and personally, I like to feel like I can envisage ways of showing some some weakness or fallibility or vulnerability. Actually, yeah. weakness isn't the right word. Vulnerability is the right word. But right. Um, and I like. Yeah, I don't know, really. I, d- I don't know. I, g- I guess it's things that move you, isn't it? You know, if, you mo- if you're moved mm-hmm. by something and you genuinely connect and engage with it, then I think you're going to be more invested in creating the, yeah. the, the, the film. Yeah, and finding moments to kind of reveal that vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by Universal Pictures' Queen and Slim, the unflinching new drama about a black man and a black woman on a first date who are forced to go on the run after they shoot a police officer in self-defense. As they drive, these two unlikely fugitives will forge a deep and powerful love that will shape the rest of their lives. Starring Academy Award and SAG Award nominee Daniel Kaluuya as Slim and introducing Jodie Turner-Smith as Queen. For your SAG Award consideration in all categories, including outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture. I like hearing about the... See, I've been thinking recently on this podcast about telling, asking people about their process or about like their, mm. you know, what resonates with them in their work and why they play a certain role in a certain way and whether that's universal for every role. And sometimes I feel like people don't like to talk about it because they don't necessarily know themselves exactly what that process yeah. is. Or by naming it, it, it doesn't quite get there or it cheapens, the, it, cheapens it or something. I yeah, like I, I like your this idea of vulnerability. Yeah, I think that I think it's not something that I had thought of consciously. Right, and then you know other people, people, you know, I'm I'm lucky in that I'll be interviewed by someone or discuss someone who's seen my work or is familiar, and they'll mm. they will say something that about you know that's that that they like about my acting or some or something or like about my films. And one of the things that people have come up have said to me a lot. Is that I'm? They feel that I'm a, a vulnerable. Mm. I'm a. There's a vulnerability that they connect with, and I 
really, the, the first time I heard it, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Mm. Um, but I actually, I really like it. I really like that. And I, if it does characterise the parts I play, then I'm, I'm cool with that because I'm not, I'm not particularly interested in seeing someone who's invulnerable. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's why Superman runs up against problems time and time again because he's, yeah. he's sort of, he's sort of perfect, oh, I isn't think he? He's <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Kind of boring in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, um, I quite like that. But yeah, so yeah. It's that distinction too between vulnerability and weakness, like you yes, said. exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a positive or weakness is more. It's not necessarily positive or negative. It's more like you can do more with vulnerability. Yeah, I, I saw um, the Irishman this week. Oh yeah, and it's sensationally cool, good. Cool, cool. And um, Al Pacino is amazing in it, mm. and he's amazing in it because, or well, for all the reasons that Al Pacino is always amazing. Mm-hmm. But what I really love about the performance is he's quite. It's a really it's a really unvain performance. The, the character is vain, but the actor's not. And he's very... Mm. There's a real vulnerability he has in that and a kind of, you know, um, a sort of perfect imperfection to him. Mm. He's just... It's an cool. awesome, awesome performance. I was kind of blown away by it. But I was watching it thinking that about him. Because although it's a it's a tough guy movie, you know, it's a, it's sure. a Scorsese mobster movie... Actually, what I really love about the Irishman is that the guys in it, they're tough guys who aren't always that tough. Right. And it's a really, hmm. it's really, you know, it's Goodfellas, they're more, Goodfellas is one of my favourite films, but hmm. they're more, they're tough, tough guys in that, you know. Whereas yeah. in this, they're like, they're kind of, it's more like, what's the cost of Goodfellas? That's what it feels like oh, to me. Cool. It's like a more sober answer to the question of Goodfellas. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the tough guy thing is the genre in which you can play. Yeah. Not necessarily. You don't want to play someone invulnerable. No, because no one is. Right. You're trying to play you're trying to play humans. Yeah, you're exactly. To people. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, how so talk to me about Rocket Man. Mm. How did you get involved? Was that also an extensive audition process? Um Did you know Elton John because of that second Kingsman film that he was briefly That was in? where we first met, okay. yeah. Um no, there wasn't an audition process. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I had obviously, you know, worked with Matthew before, and, and he didn't feel he'd asked me to audition for Eddie the Eagle, uh-huh. but it was only one. It was just a one-hour screen test with Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. Even then, it kind of didn't feel like an audition. Matthew, since we first met, who's the producer. Um, mm-hmm. And an old kind of colleague of Dexter's, friend and colleague of Dexter's, I think has always been very encouraging of me and my and and my desire to to, to try and play things that are quite different. And he's ah. quite good at thinking outside the box and has given me a couple of opportunities to do that. And Rocket Man was one of them. I think we'd we're filming the sequel to Kingsman in about three and a half, approaching four years ago. And um, uh, basically, he asked me how I felt about playing Elton and um <laughs> and it was a kind of mad moment really I, I I have to say that I can't I can't pretend that I hadn't entertained it even before that I was aware of the project uh-huh. oh, I'd been aware okay. of it for a couple of years oh. and had always felt because huh. I knew it was a musical and I always f- was felt 
well, I'd be that would be good. I'd be good for that. That's different. That's different. That's cool. And <laughs> yes. you know, obviously, everything that we know about Elton, you know, yeah. what a character to play. What a fascinating totally. person. Um, and but at that stage, when I had inquired, I'd inquired to my agents about it, and I have this exactly the same agents as Tom Hardy, who was then attached to do it. Ah. Oh, okay. And um, and what they'd said to me before that was. Um, no, Tom's going to do it. They're just trying to find the time. So I'd forgotten about it. Gotcha. And then a couple of years later, um, Matthew approached me about it. And I think what had happened was he had been talking with Alton and David and it basically it just hadn't gotten off the ground. And Tom was kind of, you know, approaching 40. And I stopped playing Alton in Rocket Man at 17. Right. You know, for the Saturday gotcha. night. So that's for the Saturday night. So I fighting sequence. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, so I think Tom had just gotten too old mm-hmm. and I sort of very luckily was at the right sort of age, right time in life, you know, halfway between hmm. 40 and 17. So I was right in the middle of where Elton needs to play. play. Yeah, yeah. All of those. Yeah. 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 So, um, yes. And of course as well, you know, that Matthew had found out that I sang from <laughs> Hugh Jackman and I recorded a song for the end, for the end credits of Eddie mm-hmm. the Eagle and, mm-hmm. and, um, and so it all just sort of came together fairly organically from there, really. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it's safe to say it's the biggest challenge of from, a role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it was a, it was another one of those things, as we were discussing earlier, you know, it's a, it's a scary, intimidating thing to take on someone who's such a, not only such a legend, but such a big personality. Mm. And, um, yeah. but, you know, like everything, like we said, you know, you've got to do the things that frighten you because they... Most of all... Yeah, yeah, they they the ones that reward you. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was probably it must have been end of end of twenty seventeen where it was really like it really started to feel like it was about to happen. So mm-hmm. a year and a half later, it sat there for a little while, right? This and then as it happens sometimes. Yes, exactly. You yeah. know, there's a lot of um, mechanics to filmmaking that I I don't understand from a producer perspective. Mm. You know, and financing and all of that and. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, by 2018, we were sort of getting ready to go. And um, and it was at the start of 2018 that w- I went into studio with Giles Martin and we started spending a lot of time at Abbey Road, you know, a few days a week, mm-hmm. just um, recording vocals, mm-hmm. recording temp instrumentals, and honestly just figuring out with Dex as he developed the script how the songs were going to weave their way into the story because okay. they're not just sort of dropped in they become sort of storytelling moments that oh, yeah. the, the lyrics are used to try and move the story forward um, but that was a, felt like a really exciting creative process Yeah, and we all, it's just a wonderful bit of alchemy, we all kind of fell in love as mates, as a gang, you know me and Giles and Dex and um, and Adam the producer, it, all, it just all became very it all felt right and we all had a really good time and it's one of those weird rarefied things where everyone just feels really happy and working really really hard you know it was yeah it's it was it was a lot to take on in terms of sure um, well, becoming him and and getting the music right and yeah all that. well and i want to i want to know how much you worked with elton on becoming elton but 
Yeah. I also, it's so interesting, this idea of like, there was no set in stone script with every musical number planned beforehand. It's like... There was a really good script, a really good script, a uh-huh. script that had been around for years, Lee's script, but it's pretty typical that when a director comes on board, things right. shift a little bit. Totally. And Lee is a really lovely man and very... um very understanding of that process and mm-hmm. not pr- and not precious about it at all. Yeah. And, you know, the st- structure of it, the idea of the rehab clinic, recounting from the rehab clinic, totally. that was already in place. That's oh, okay. It's just a couple of song choices shifted to sort of, to, to for certain for certain beats and tonally the voice of the character, I think hmm. Dexter maybe moved more towards something that he felt was more appropriate for me. And mm. um, But yeah, you know, it's all based on interviews with Elton. It's based uh-huh. on interviews with Elton about his life. And um, so, yeah. You must have done all that research, watched all those interviews. Yeah, you go his... you go down a crazy rabbit sure. hole and, you know, you find some weird, obscure moments where, you know, <laughs> Elton promoting an album in the 70s and you sort of, you do wonder... Where he would, where he'd been in the hours before it, you know, because he uh-huh. was, li- you know, he was living a, <laughs> as a very specific type of lifestyle, I think. And, right. But um, but you also have access to Elton, so are you like yes. balancing those two things? Of yeah, I think for me and Elton, what happened was that we just became, we just got on very, very. I think we just got, I think we got on in a way that you can't quite predict. F- for you can't quite um you can't quite oh, sure. you imagine you're going to get along and it'll be a good working relationship but then you start to really become close with somebody and you know spend time with them and hmm. Elton you know invited me to go and stay and and it and now you know we're sort of you know now I speak to him a few times a week you know we're very we, it's a, I, I don't really have that relationship with many people it's a wow. strange thing yeah. Um, but wonderful, and uh, you know, and, and, and a, f- a few things happened before we start. I basically, the, what the, the relationship with Elton did was it made it feel very, very personal and very real and very mm-hmm. important. And I've never really, you fall in love with all the characters you play, and they, of course, feel very, very important. But it happened in a very, very charged way with Elton. You know, he, I've said it before in interviews, but he did this thing very early on before we started filming, a couple of months before we started filming. I was staying, my girlfriend and I was staying at his house for a couple of nights and um, and he, we were sat in his drawing room and he leant over and gave me this thing, just dropped it in my hand and it's a rather large diamond earring and, and he said that was the first, that's the first diamond earring I ever bought and he said it would have been in about 72 or maybe 73 Okay, and I just could not. <laughs> believe that yeah. he'd do this, you know, give me this incredible thing. And uh, and I went away and asked Julian Day, um, costume designer extraordinaire, if if he would be okay with me wearing it. Using it. Yeah, I'd had my ear pierced for the role earlier on before this, but, you know, mm-hmm. El- and then Elton gave me this thing and... Um, and I it's asked, in the film. And it's in the film. Wow. Yeah, so if, if you ever re- rewatch... Um, Rocket Man, through the rehab scenes, bits uh, of my costume start to come off. Right, and um, that was great fun planning all that out, mapping out when all that is. I actually asked Julian. There's a scene in the movie where I take my horns off, and I asked Julian if he would make me. It, Julian had to design that for me so that I could uh-huh. do it in the scene. But I, but as, as as I take the neoprene hood off, which happens at quite an emotional moment in the film. Mm. Um, 
it reveals you can just see that I'm wearing this little diamond earring and that is um, Elton John's first ever diamond earring which I still have in a safe <laughs> in a safe yeah that's beautiful because it's that it's like a real life dramaturgy you're getting it straight from the source and it's like a sort of talisman it sort of felt yeah. like a kind of like Ooh. a little magic token I don't know it was a really lovely thing it was a lovely gesture and it made it what it did it was such a gesture that it made it feel like it made our friendship feel as important as the movie we were making mm. and so it yeah. just meant that when I felt when I when I it made f- feeling like him and becoming him it ma- made it feel very organic and natural mm. and and I just felt very emotionally available as him mm. I you know I never felt like those the, all of that anger and pain and sadness that we see out in you know, experiencing on the journey, it all just came very easily. Mm. I felt it all very easily. I felt it in a way that required no kind of um, forcing. Um, yeah. So it was a wonderful thing to do, and and I think I sort of attribute that in part to him giving me that little that yeah, little talisman. It makes him not a big, uh, invulnerable, like far away rock star. Like he's a human, and I feel like the task facing you guys in this film was to make him. Human, not yeah, human, but absolutely to make him small it's, scale. Like, well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's um, it's a celebration of a of a human being. You know, he is, of course, a yes. he's a he is a rock god, but he's yeah. a human being. Yeah, and we try to celebrate him as a human being as well as a legend, because mm. if you just celebrate him as a legend, it's a little, it can feel a little bit, it would feel disingenuous, I think. Because he's not without his flaws, and he's right. not, and he's not without his problems in life, and I think you know what he's experienced and gone through is so a part of who he is mm. that to sidestep all of that right. would be something of a disservice to him and his legacy. I think, and that's always what really excited me about the script. You know, what we're going to tell the story from rehab—that's crazy, isn't it? You can't do that. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that. It's quite a brave thing to do, I think, on his part, especially, and um, and uh, yeah, I just love that about the movie. I think it's, totally. I think it's, you know, I just don't think of an, of, I can't think of another example of a movie about someone so well known that does that, right? And like you were saying, it could easily just be so big, larger than life that it's cartoonish, or yeah. And the idea was always to, you know, the scenes. The scenes, you know, we have these kind of outlandish, fantastical moments in the movie, but we we really seek to ground it and root it with, mm. I suppose, at the heart of it, a performance that feels believable and real. The performance isn't, you know, the scenes, it's elevated in a way, but it's not, yeah, I, I really hope it's not cartoonish. We never wanted to try and achieve that. No, no, and I think every musical number is so different from the last and like you said, it does it does move the story along in ways that I didn't think Elton John's songs could. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, like, people often say, "Oh God," people will say, "Oh, I didn't know the lyrics meant that." And we go, yeah. "Actually, to be honest, we, I don't think they do. We just we just use them in that way." <laughs> you know, if you if you ask <laughs> if you ask Elton and Bernie what Benny and the Jets mean, you yeah. know, they'll say we don't really know. <laughs> you, know? Right. Because, no. you know, I think there's a but that's you know all of the best. Um, Art, I think, is sort of open to mm. a little bit of interpretation. I think Bernie's lyrics 
are very much that. There's a poetry to them and a mm-hmm. and a sort of they're not they're not literal and 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 that quality in them makes them great storytelling devices. Totally for for especially for a big screen movie musical. Well, because you can just because you can you can use them in ways that you know that you can use because the, they're not they're not speci- they're not they don't have a specific meaning. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can kind of tailor them to your purpose. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, I want to add, we got to ask, we got to wrap soon. Um, we're all about the advice. We're all about the audition advice. Do you ever give like number one piece of audition advice for early career actors? <sighs> um, or something you wish you'd known? I, I was quite, I was really, I had a very weird relationship with auditions because mm. I really enjoyed them. Okay. I, I, and and <laughs> the only times I didn't enjoy them was when I hadn't prepared enough. Okay. You know, hmm. doing something I think the longer you've known you've known the text, the longer you've spent with it, hmm. you know, far better to look at something for 45 minutes over 5 nights than for 2 hours on one night. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I think you have to do whatever you can do to make it feel like when you're in that room you really have to uh, you have to own mm. the the space a bit you know i think the those prospective employers want to see a an assuredness and a calmness in you that you know um makes them believe that you're a good candidate for the job as well as what you mm. do with it interpretively but mm-hmm. i just think it's about preparation and confidence and you've got to do whatever you've got to do to to make to get yourself ready and and um and in a good place to to perform and to act when you go into the room but for me it's about enjoying them you have to enjoy them it's you know if you aren't enjoying that feeling of expression and and creativity that comes with you know um performing language speaking words mm. then no one's going to enjoy watching you i don't think um that's my two cents on it so it's do yeah. whatever you've got to do to to be able to be relaxed enough to enjoy auditions. Yeah. And and the, the part of that is, I love that, that it's the preparing that's a huge part of that. Is there such a thing as over-preparing? Is there a preparing just the right amount? I think if you prepare to a point... When I say prepare, it means know your, like, you know your text as well as yeah. you possibly can. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean manufacture a rigid performance right. that you can't be fluid with because that is absolutely uh, I think key is that feeling of you know it's about surprise you should I think when you're acting you should surprise yourself you should Mm -hmm. surprise the people around you it should feel you know I think there's a lot to be said for for rhythm and playing with the rhythm of the way you do things and and just you know um yeah keeping it alive really and um, because if something's rigid and over prepared and really manufactured right. i think it's it's inherently dead and you should be you should be in a situation it's very hard because when you go and read in those auditions you're not always offered a great deal in terms of what the other performer is offering you because quite often you're not reading with an actor you might be reading with a casting director no yeah. disrespect to casting directors no, but you so, know yeah. but you you respond to to what the other scene partner is offering you and um and you know, I think 
uh, make it putting yourself in a position where you know actually you have to know it so well that you can forget about it mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to do because you can't if you don't know it well enough you're trying to hold it in your mind as well yeah. as be free with your acting and right. it, it just can't be done right so the preparation comes with knowing your text inside out and you know yeah i mean i just can't imagine not, not if, I, if I haven't done that, I'm not. I'm not good. I can't You're act. Be I, miserable. Yeah, well, I just can't act well. I'm trying to think about the lines and not. Yeah. You have to. You have to. You have to know it so well that you can completely forget about it when you're in the room, yeah. and that's how you find freedom with it. I think. Yeah, and focus on that thing. You, the rada thing of listening. It comes Ex- down to like, exactly. You can't be focused on the other person and listening right. to them if you are thinking in your head, "What's your next line?" Yeah. You have to forget. You have to remember it so you can forget about it, Excellent. and that's. Very hard to do at short notice, which of course sometimes auditions are. But generally, mm-hmm. you, if you have an audition in seven days, don't wait three yeah. or four to start looking at the script and spread it out. The forty-five minutes per night thing is a good. Tip. Yeah, I just think that you mem- you remember things over an extended period of time. Yeah. You know, the more sleep, the more you sleep on something, mm. it goes into a different la- layer of your memory. I think. Sure. I'm not a sleep scientist, as you can tell. Ah. I'm just speaking from <laughs> personal experience. No, but that's excellent advice. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, that would be my advice. Um, what's one piece of advice, maybe career advice or life advice, that you would give your younger self? Um, when I was in my teens, I wish that I had been less concerned with with what other people thought of me. Ah. And I think it's really important to remember, particularly when you are in your teens, and it's a, it's a horrible, tough time, that if you feel self-conscious... You just got to remember that absolutely everybody around you feels exactly the same way mm. and no one is looking at you. You can feel, mm. I can remember feeling on edge and slightly self-aware and it was just such a waste of energy because everyone's busy worrying about their own thing. And, um, yeah. and you know, it's such a great time that those teens, those teenage years, if you, if you can enjoy them and, um, and I sort of think I was a little bit preoccupied with what everybody around me thought of me rather yeah. than just being authentic. Well, and it's good that you weren't too subconscious about the, I mean, making that initial leap to to enrolling in that drama school and yeah. and playing Thisbe. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you had given in to being self-conscious and not putting yourself out there, it wouldn't Well, happen. yeah, there's definitely a version of myself that would have just said, I'm not doing that. Yeah. In fact, when I went home the first night, I think I told my mum, you want to quit? I, I am not doing it. Wow. Because, well, it was just at fifteen. You're not. Oh yeah. You're not. I. I personally wasn't relaxed and assured enough and confident enough in my own skin. No. You know, to 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 put on a dress. Like you said, no one is. N- now age. you'd struggle to keep me out of a dress. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, but you know, at that age, I wasn't fully formed yet. No. And, um, no one is. Uh, yeah. So that 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 as well. That's just to my former self. I'm not saying for a second that all 15 year olds are quite as self conscious as I was, but I'd imagine there's a few. Well, like you said, Saoirse Ronan at young age. Yeah, yeah I mean, she's a, she's one in a million, isn't she? I, yeah, I guess she is. <laughs> yeah, that was really a stunning. I don't know how those kid actors do it. I I don't know. I mean, she's just she's just got a really crazy crazy talent. Yeah, I, I, I think you know that even. I think even super accomplished actors in their the later years in their life look at her and, and sort of go, "How the yeah. hell does she do that?" You know? Totally. Um, yeah. It is all about vulnerability. That's such a great like, yeah, philosophy like acting uh, credo of yours. It's t- you know, to be an actor and to to do it well, I think you've got to have a a thin skin. You know, you've got to show things about yourself. Mm. You've got to be. You've got to reveal things about yourself through a character. Mm. 
trouble is that then you know you're scrutinized and often judged for it so then you've got to have a very thick skin which is tough you know because they're two sort of polarized um there's those contradictions you're talking about yeah yeah quite thin and thick yeah Yeah. taryn thank you thank you very much this is very wise very wise stuff well i don't know maybe (laughs) it does feel it i'm i wouldn't normally presume to give advice at the tender age of 29 that i am but but since but since you asked (laughs) thank you In the Envelope, an awards podcast, is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rose Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to podcast producer extraordinaire Jamie Muffet and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope. <laughs>